And welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, folks, we're finally back here on a Monday here on 12 Ounce Sports and starting off here live on Instagram Live as well. Got a couple people joining there in the chat. Hey, look, Paul Loudon and uh, Casey Joe as well there. Hello. Nice to see you there on the Instagrams. We got a lot to get to today here, ladies and gentlemen. Not just because of the fact that we got playoff talk. We have a signing. We have two signings, actually. Now, granted, these are not game changers and not blockbuster deals yet, but we have movement with the signings and stuff. It's interesting. It's kind of fun. And, you know, it makes it a little bit more interesting just not talking about just the four teams that are left. Also, we're talking about some stuff that's going on, some more awards being handed out, some award nominees being named as well. Hey, look, it's Cooper. Hey, Cooper's on Instagram. Yeah, good for him. Hi, Cooper. Nice to see you. Can you come pick up my Davenport ID card finally already? That'd be nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> I have to let him know that every day. He probably just he probably just tuned out. It's okay, Cooper. We love you. Uh, also, we're going to get into, that's when we're starting off today. That's why we're on Instagram Live to start off. We're going to be talking about the Islanders and Lightning Game 5 tonight. 8 o'clock puck drop. Not a do-or-die game, but a game that puts one team closer to the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, that is also how the other series between Montreal and Vegas is going. However, that's not till tomorrow night. So we're going to start off with that first. But, we, of course, we have to awesome make our sure we thank our awesome sponsors here on 12 Ounce Sports because I'm going to let you guys know because you're watching us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or Zingo TV, Channel 761. Make sure you use the promo code 12OUNCE. That's the one, the two, the letter O, and the letter Z or Z for you improper English users. Sign up for free on Zingo TV. And, of course, as always, we got to thank our amazing sponsors, mybookie.ag down there in the corner. And, of course, people on Instagram are like, what do you mean in the corner? If you watch on 12OUNCE Sports, there's a mybookie logo down there in the corner here on TKS. That's how it is. Any hoot. Yes, we're on there. MyBookie.ag is the promo code 12 on sports to win and get paid on MyBookie.ag. The basketball, the semifinals, the conference finals are set to get underway. One already did. Phoenix Suns already up 1-0 on the Clippers. I know this because I have to cover it for my writing job, so I kind of have an idea. Kawhi Leonard not being in the lineup. Not good for the Clippers. At least that's from what I get. Paul George out for the Suns? Who cares? This Devin Booker guy is pretty good. And also, you can go on MyBookie to go bet on Devin Booker, and you can get paid, and you can buy more books. When you watch Devin Booker after you bet on mybookie.ag. That's how you do it, kids. That is how you sell right there. And, of course, speaking of sell, second string leather company up there in the corner. Get in there. Get you need a, Guys, you need a new wallet? Do you need a new wallet there on Instagram? Good. Go on secondstringleather.com. Do you need somewhere to put, like, your trinkets and your rings and all your stuff on your nightstand to your next to your bed? Go on secondstringleather.com. Need a cool shirt? Hey, it's getting a little chilly outside here in Michigan. Kind of feeling like spring and fall. You need a sweater? Need a toque? SecondStringLeather.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. Get all your awesome swag and awesome gear from SecondStringLeather.com. Now, like I said, we're going to talk about the playoff series today. We'll talk about later on. That'll probably be an hour. I'm trying to think, a second hour. We're not going to go the full two and a half hours on the Monday like we usually do. Two reasons. One, there is still not a whole lot to talk about. Two, I have to be up at 1 o'clock in the morning because, unfortunately, kids, this week, I am pulling the morning shift at the radio station I work at. So it's a little tough right now, but it's okay. No need to panic. We'll still get you all the great information here. We had a guest on. I tried to get a couple guests. Unfortunately, a couple things just couldn't play out. So we had to do it a little bit shorter today. We may not. We may go till 730. That's probably a good guess right now for today's program. But of course, if you're watching us on the Kuehl Show YouTube channel, the replay, or listen on your favorite podcatcher, you're probably like, who cares if it's 7.30? I mean, you're all, it's the thing says you got an hour 20 left. I don't care how long it is. That's true. I get that. I get that indeed. However, let's jump right in, folks. The New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Game five tonight. We've had a couple games since then. In fact, this is the third show in a row that we're previewing the Islanders and Tampa game. Now, yes, that's because of the fact that they had an extra day off. We're going to do Tuesday, Thursday last week, and now we're doing one on here on Monday. So as far as we know, knock on wood, on Thursday, we're going to be doing game six of Montreal and Vegas preview for you. So I'm pretty sure everyone on Instagram is like, finally, we have something other than the Islanders and Tampa. But let's get into it nonetheless. The series now tied at two. 
It was a little bit interesting that first game at Nassau in Game 3, guys. 2-1 win for the, for the Lightning. A 2-1 victory. Dare I say it, children. The Tampa Bay Lightning out-Islanders the Islanders. Does that make sense? Let's get you what happened. Yanni Gord scores his third of the playoffs in the first period. Cal Clutterbuck ties it up early in the second, but not shortly long after. Braden Point, not on the power play, but right after it, scores a beautiful goal while falling down. Ends up being the game-winning goal late in that second period. And it's a 2-1 game going to the third period. But like, hey, the offense is picking up. There was a glorious amount of chances in the first period, just like there was in the first two games down at Amelie in Tampa. So it's going to be the same thing again. It's going to pick up and things are going to go crazy. The Tampa defense, which is not nearly as it's as good as it is this year, it's not as good as it was during the cup run last year. And I know it's kind of weird because they really only lost guys like Luke Shen. They lost, of course, Zach Bogosian to the Leafs. So you're telling me, Tyler, but they still have Sergachev and Hedman and, and Chernak. So what's the big deal? By the way, shout out to Eric Chernak for pretty much giving Cal Clutterbuck that goal, that tying goal in the second period. But Ty, what do you mean that the defense is not as good? It just doesn't seem as deep as it was last year. However, they only hold the Islanders in that third period to eight shots on goal. A team that is trying to come back and the Islanders who have the most goals in the playoffs were only held to eight shots on goal when they were trying to tie the game. Now you wonder almost how is that actually was that how is that actually going to play out? But Vasilevsky made a couple of saves, didn't have to make too many tough saves, and Tampa went up two to one. And you, after that game, I was saying to myself, "Does Tampa know? I mean, Tampa knows how to win, and we've always joked about it. They know how to win every way. They can fight you, they can beat you, they can outscore you, and they can outdefend you. But when it's the Islanders, a team that is known and synonymous and has grown with this reputation of being a team that is so good defensively." Who's going to stop him? Well, kids, guess who stopped him? The Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending Stanley Cup champs, the defending Stanley Cup champs for a reason. So now they come to game four. The building's still out at Nassau. Fans are like, all right, we can't let this be the last game here. We need to have at least a game six. That's what it seems like at this point if you're an Islanders fan. Whether or not you make it to the finals almost irrelevant. It's more or less just, let's just keep getting games here. Because like I keep mentioning, this is the last season at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale. Next year, they're going to be at their new barn near Belmont Stakes or Belmont Park. I, I forget exactly what town it is. It's in New York over there on the island. But this is a big deal for this franchise and for these fans. I mean, shoot it. I feel like it's an NBC's contract that they have to show Ralph Macchio at least once every game. Can we have can we have a question about that? That's a thing that needs to be fixed, right? But anywho, so game four, first period happens. Chances galore for Tampa, nothing for the Islanders. And it's like, oh my gosh, now this is where the Tampa Bay Lightning are just going to take over this series. They're out chancing the Islanders. The Islanders can't get anything going. Sammy Varlamov looks like Denny Lemieux from Slapshot down there. At one point, the shots were 17-4 to by the early stages of the second period in favor of the Bolts. It seemed like there was no way in the blue blaze in hell that the Islanders were going to get a goal. However, somehow, someway, some guy by the name of Brock Nelson showed that he's a pretty good hockey player. He feeds Josh Bailey for his sixth goal of the playoffs, and the barn goes bonkers. That second period, the Islanders stormed back in such a way that I didn't even believe was possible. They outshot Tampa 17-9, the same Tampa defense that only held them to eight shots in the third period in game three. Now 17 shots, more than double that, because I can math, more than doubled in the second period. They continue that. Barzell scores his six, makes it 2-0. All right, the crowd's going nuts there at Nassau. They're believing, and then all of a sudden, Matt Martin, of all people, gets his first of the playoffs. Holy, and a beautiful backhand. How about that? Nice little soft hands there, Mr. Matt Martin. I know he can score goals, and he put up some big goals during the last year's playoff run in the conference finals, but holy cow. He's usually using those hands and fists for beating people's faces, not putting pucks top corner over Vesna candidates, and most likely a Vesna winner, Andre Vasilevsky. That's his first. It was 3-0. Okay, they're going to the third period. A lot of time left for Tampa, but 
It's three nothing. And then I believe it was Brian Boucher. They were talking about the bottom six for the Islanders. And they said something along the line. I think it was, I believe it was Boucher. It was Boucher or Olchek. I'm not sure. They said, you need those kind of guys in a best of three series. Implying that the Islanders had this game in hand. Not two minutes later, Braden Point scores his playoff leading 12th goal. And I said to myself, oh boy, here we go. And the worst part is I have my iPhone next to me. So my my Android that I'm here on the Instagram live with here for you folks here on the Kula Show, at the Kula Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, by the way. I had my phone next to me, but I had my Apple phone that I have for my job. And my Apple phone actually gets more up-to-date Twitter notifications. So that's where I see my tweets from Friedman, my tweets from Johnston, Bob McKenzie, the whole nine yards, the, the big insiders. And also a couple other guys as well. And unfortunately, my phone's not in here. It's actually out in the living room right now. But that went off, and I started realizing, I think, during the series against Toronto, it's about 45 seconds to a minute when something happens. Because obviously, when they watch it, they're watching it live. Eric Pesolano, hey, how's it going there, buddy? Colorado fan, unfortunately. At least his team made it to the second round. But um, yeah, no, it's... It was tough because I, I figured out that if something my phone went off, usually someone scored because they're watching it on satellite. I'm watching on Hulu. I'm watching it streaming. That's not a that's not a cheap plug. That's how I watch it. So it's a little behind compared to you. Awesome people that pay a crap ton of money for satellite or cable TV. Now, regardless, I'm watching this and I see my phone go off and I'm like, it's three one. I'm like, no way the Tampa Bay Lightning scored again. Eric Pasolano is crying right now. It's okay, Eric. It's okay. At least your team actually, like I said, they made it to the second round and they lost to a good Vegas Golden Knights team that almost lost to the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> it's okay. But the, I'm like, there's no way. But then Tyler Johnson, Tyler Johnson of all people who we talked a couple weeks ago with Matthew from Raw Charge, we said, all right, he's going to be gone because he's $5 million. He's an overpaid hockey player. And then he scores a big goal. And I'm like, my goodness, this guy's going to stay here. And I said it too with Matthew. What if he has a big playoff here? And all of a sudden, they're going to keep him just because of the fact that, hey, this guy is hot. He's playing well. He may be overpaid right now, but he's good in the playoffs. Well, that's kind of how it is with some guys in this postseason. So it's 3-2, and things are tense because there's a lot of time left in that third period after that second goal was scored by Tampa. And it went from a raucous Nassau Coliseum to dare I say, the Scotiabank Arena for a Leafs game on a Wednesday night. Dang near death silent. Now, the you know, Islanders fans trying to rally him, but it's like you almost saw this collapse before your eyes because Tampa comes back and wins. There's game five down at Amelie with the Tampa Bay Lightning having a chance to clinch a spot in the Stanley Cup final. Yet, they were able to bunker down to the Islanders, but not with a little help. The clock's ticking down. I'm watching it on NBC Sports, and they get that red diamond with the letting you know there's less than 10 seconds left on the scoreboard. Puck comes out in front. Ryan McDonough, of all people, has a wide-open chance because people forget that he is actually an offensive asset for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He gets the puck. He's wide open. Varlamov comes flying out 1980-style as a goaltender. He's like, I'm going to stop this thing. And McDonough's like, how about I stop right here? Does a spinorama, gets it around Varlamov, and Ryan Polak, who came from literally downtown Manhattan, sliding across, thought he was at Barclay Center almost, slides across, makes the game-saving save. Islanders win. It's 3-2 the final, 2-2 the series after the save of the playoffs. I'm sorry, there's been a lot of great saves with the goaltenders. Carey Price has made great saves. He's winked at Mark Stone. Robin Leonard made a couple saves last night. We'll get to that. Mark Andre Fleury's made big saves. I mean, it's it, the list goes on and on, but that right there is the save of the playoffs. Not just because of a great effort by a defenseman, but also the fact that it saved the game. Now, the first, probably the most recent example of this, for me, maybe for some younger kids out there, the 2011 series between Boston and Montreal. I believe it was game three. No, it was game five in Boston. Game five in Boston. The series was tied at two. Michael Ryder, former Canadian, stopping his former team with a big save after Tim Thomas. You know how Tim Thomas used to be kind of a 
kind of flaky around the net. He's off in the corner going to get a cup of cold brew Dunkin' Donuts like it's that dumb bubble hockey goaltender from that commercial everyone always has to see 10 times a game. He's over there. Michael Ryder made a big save there. That was almost a game changer, a serious changer, giving Boston the chance to win that game on their way to the Stanley Cup Finals that they won that year over Vancouver. Now, an older one for you kids, for someone my generation, Eric Pasolano may have an idea about this. Speaking of Colorado, Nicholas Lidstrom in the 97 Conference Finals, Mike Vernon gets caught out of the net because Mike Vernon had to challenge shooters because he's literally as tall as this Pooh Bear stuffed animal that I have next to me. He gets caught out of the net, and there's a wide-open net, and Nicky Lidstrom comes back with the stick and knocks it away, pulling a goal line stand. Now, yes, was it as dramatic looking as Pulak's? Was it the last second? No. Was it as nice, flashy, like a glove save like Michael Ryder's? No. But it helped the Wings win that game and go on to win their first cup in 42 years. So there's that. It's a curse breaker for you. Unfortunately, Colorado fans haven't never have to wait long. They won it in their first gosh darn year, and the fans in Quebec are like, we literally had this team. We just didn't have Patrick Waugh. I'm going way down the way down the yellow brick road here. So now we come back to tonight. Game five, back at Amelie down in Tampa. Now, I don't know what the weather is like in Tampa, but the ice is going to be garbage because it's Florida. It is soft. I was in Dallas when it was 75 degrees and humid, 80 degrees and humid, and even in a public rink. The barn was warm. The ice was soft. It was slushy. Eric Pesolano. I still have nightmares about Lidstrom. I guarantee, you know, it's funny. Eric says that. Quick side thing here. Nick Lidstrom is the nicest guy I have ever met that's played for the Detroit Red Wings. And I've met a stone Darren McCarty. <laughs> so let's put it that way. But Nicky Lidstrom was so just even keel, just so cool with everything. However, Eric, you'll probably love this story. I went to a game. It was San Jose, Detroit, Hockey Day in America. My aunt and uncle... My uncle, my Canadian uncle, his son has season tickets along right next to the, one of the faceoff circles in the Red Wing zone. So where they defend the net twice. And so right literally on the hash marks, Nick Lidstrom is lined up on the faceoff. It's coming back from a TV timeout. He's sitting there on the hash marks up against the boards. And this was his last season. And for some reason, I don't think he intentionally locked eyes with Alex and I because Alex was there, too. I don't think he did it on purpose, but he looks over and it looks like we're looking at him and I gave him the one more year and he's just staring daggers through my soul. I have never been so intimidated by a guy that I thought was the most calm person in the world. Like he was terrifying to look at in that moment. Plague went on and everything was, you know, everything was hunky dory from there. But I always remember that with Nick Lidstrom, like, cause I've met him. I've had my mask signed by him. There's a picture my dad has somewhere of it. Because uh, I actually played against his son because his son played for Novi's travel hockey team. We played against each other all the time in tournaments. And I actually got to meet him. And he's a really great guy, fun guy to talk to. I was able to talk to him for a minute before I, you know, got too red in the face, blushing. But there's my Nicholas Lidstrom story. But just it was such a, f- a funny time. Anyways, back to the Islanders and Bolts. Game five tonight. Ice is going to suck, like I said. If New York... Wants to win. Now, let yes, they have shown they can win in Tampa. They won game one. They were feeling pretty good. Yet, you have to think, is Tampa going to come out with a better effort? Because they came out flying. Me, oh, man. Oh, Eric Pesolano met Chris Pronger in Anaheim. I feel you. Oh, man. Chris Pronger. Eric, I... I, I Eric, if you ever want to do something, go look on the Cool Show Twitter page, at the Cool Show, by the way, and uh, check out good buddy Tate uh, Tate Harris's story about Chris Pronger in Windsor. It's a pretty funny story. Um, it was one of the shows that I did when I was in, down in Dallas, talking with Tate. But it, So this game tonight is going to be a fun one. I want to say if, if Tampa gets a good start again, I don't think the Islanders will be able to hold it off because the difference is, is that Tampa is going to have the home crowd. And yes, I know we talked with Nick Alberga last Thursday. We talked about how Amelie can be very, very quiet, can be very solemn. And it's a mixture of Nick saying the fact that it's the Tampa Bay Lightning fans knowing that their team is good and expect them to win, which is kind of sad. And I would love to have that feeling one of these days, but that's just never going to happen as being a Leafs fan almost, but they still have that, the Lightning have that comforting feeling when they play at home. It's not hostile for them. 
It's not hostile for the other team either. However, if the Islanders were to get shelled in their own zone like they did for 25 minutes, as they did in Game 4, it's going to be harder for them to come back from that because they don't have the fans at NASA Coliseum chanting Varley, Varley for Varlamov and getting that up. They don't have the power of Ralph Macchio, the karate kid in the crowd, cheering them on because apparently this one person of the 13,000 you have there is the biggest fan ever, I guess. I don't know. I guess, hey, he acted in three movies and he's doing a Netflix show now. He's got to be popular. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, the karate kid's a good movie. However, Ralph Macchio is the bad guy. I won't let him tell me any different. Anyway, so Tampa's going to play well tonight, but if the Islanders can get that first goal, that's going to be the game changer in all of this because it's, it, you know, it's an old cliche. If the road team scores first, they're going to be feeling good and they have a better chance to win. However, it's going to be so important because the Islanders then can taste it. Because when you have a lead in a game five where the series is tied at two, you know, I don't want to say you play antsy, but you play determined to get it over with because you don't want to go to a seventh game. While it is in Tampa, you don't want to go to a game seven against the Lightning. I'm trying to think of how the Lightning have done in game sevens in the past. I know it's not a great record, but it's a game seven. Anything is possible. You don't want to let that get into your head. So if you're the Islanders, you're going to come out and play as hard as you can because you'd rather get it done. And oh my goodness, could you imagine if they won the, if you, excuse me, they clinched a spot in the Stanley Cup Finals on home ice at Nassau? Oh my goodness, that barn will be, literally people be hanging off the rafters. It'll be crazy. So I think that's what's going to be in their minds. They're going to come out hard. And I'm pretty sure Barry Trotz is saying that too. I'm like, guys, we can't get shelled in for the second game in a row in the first period. And I'm pretty sure, and if Tampa's like, hey, if we can get out ahead though, and they can bunker down because they showed in game three that they can literally just be like, all right, we got, we are, we're up by one, we're up by two. No more offense. Everyone sit back. We're not letting these guys get anything going. So it's going to be a tale of two games here. This now, granted, this game may go scoreless through about 30, 40 minutes, and we may have us a very tight third period. But that's what makes this fun, right? Both series right now are fun. It's not like one series is boring than the other. That's why like last year was kind of weird. It was like, oh, you have Tampa winning in six games over the Islanders. Okay. And then you had Dallas, the Cinderella team, just thwomping on the Vegas Golden Knights. At least this year, the final four series are shaping up to be a little something fun. Fun to watch for me and you and all the kids. Everyone come around, get a bowl of popcorn, and get ready to watch some great hockey. Eight o'clock tonight, puck drop on that game. That'll be on NBC Sports Network and CBC and Sportsnet for our viewers up in Canada. Unfortunately, as much as I would love to listen to Johnny Bartlett, uh, not possible down here uh, south of the border. It's a shame. And, of course, it's also a shame because the news came out today that the border is going to be closed until July, 20, July 21st. And I'm not surprised, but it's still a bummer because that means we're oh so far away from Scotiabank Arena and Rogers Skydome being open up to the public. Eventually, it's going to happen, kids. Eventually. But that is it for us on Instagram Live here. We Obviously, we gave you the preview there. We're going to take a quick break here on 12 Ounce Sports as well. When we come back, we're going to talk about some latest news and notes, a couple of big events that come came along today, a couple of trophies as well, some news, some signings, like I said, as well. So for folks on Instagram, thank you very much for tuning in. Eric, Cooper, Casey, Paul Loudon was on there for a minute. Thank you all for watching. And, of course, if you're watching on Instagram TV, thank you for watching this as well. And so we'll be we'll see you guys on Thursday's show for previews of the Vegas Montreal game because we'll finally be able to do that for all of us on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll take a quick break when we come back. More of the Kill Show on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back everyone to the Kill Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. On the inside of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, Jack of all trades, master of none, as I have been told before, and I will be told again. So we just ran through, if you're just joining us here on 12 Ounce Sports, we just went through the Islanders-Tampa Bay Game 5 preview. But if you missed it, you can always catch it on tomorrow on the Kill Show YouTube channel and your favorite podcatcher. But as I say that, of course, I'm like, well, Game 5 would have already happened. I guess if you want to get caught up on the games as well, like Games 3 and 4, I do that as well. So I guess if you really want to go that far back, be my guest. And of course, you know, 
Absolutely. Give us a follow on there. Give us a, give us a subscription on there. Subscribe. Hit that little bell thingy so you get it whenever the latest episodes get uploaded onto the YouTube channel. That's literally what I'm going to do tonight because I have to get up early, and I would say ass crack of dawn early, but unfortunately, it's hard to do that when sunlight is not even not even coming across the ocean when I have to get up in the morning. But let's get to some news and notes here. We'll start off with a couple of special things. Today is, of course, a lot of you follow us on social media. At it is Today is National Indigenous Peoples Day, and it's a relatively big day just in general, of course, to recognize the folks from the First Nations. It's It was meant to initially, you know, it's a day where the people recognize and celebrate the cultures and contributions of the First Nations. And why I want to mention it today is because, believe it or not, folks, there's a lot of people, a lot of players, a lot of people that have been around the game that are of indigenous descent. Now, yes, there's the very popular ones, guys like Jordan Tutu, who is an Inuk, the first Inuk player to ever make it to the National Hockey League. Ethan Bear, who fortunately had, you know, he had the instant, the the incidents following the Oilers sweeping or getting swept in the Stanley Cup playoffs this past year, but he's a member as well. He's an indigenous folks as well, but there's also, also a lot of other very star players today, but also very historic names. Obviously the big one you got to mention whenever you talk about indigenous people's day is Fred Sasak, Fred Sasakamoose, excuse me, uh, Sasakamoose, the first indigenous NHLer ever. And of course, talk about um, Ojibwe. They have Reggie Leach, who was one, I think I believe he was the first ever Conn Smythe Trophy winner of the Stanley Cup Finals on a team that didn't win. Reggie Leach, who led the NHL playoffs in points in 1976 before the Flyers lost to the Habs that year. Of course, Big Chief George Armstrong. It's in his name, Big Chief. But of course, there's Ted and Jordan Nolan and a couple names you may not know. Rene Bork, Michael Furlan, Vernon Fiddler, formerly of the uh, Nashville Predators. Carey Price is a culture, um, excuse me, Alkachu from the Alkachu First Nations. And another one is TJ Oshi, is Ojibwe as well. So it's a, obviously it's a great thing to celebrate. And obviously, with all the stuff that's happened up in Canada with Cam Loops and, and all the residential schools, it's obviously been a very, very tough time for those folks. And it's something that we need to obviously keep open and learning about as we become just a better society all around, celebrating National Indigenous Peoples Day. And taking a quick turn off the side here from hockey, something that came out literally before we did the show. I don't want to say it's, I mean, it technically is breaking news, but and I'm going to say the gentleman's name. I didn't have enough time to look it up, unfortunately, how to pronounce it. I'm going to try to go for it. Carl Nassib, Nassib or Nassib, plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. He posted on Instagram today coming out as a, a gay man, and he is the first National Football League active player to have come out as a gay man. And the response that I saw on Instagram and majority on Twitter was very positive. And that is awesome because one thing is the fact that first of all, he made a really good shout out and is donating a hundred thousand dollars of his own money to the Trevor project, which is the number one suicide prevention for LGBTQ plus youth in the United States, which is awesome. Of course, put in the money to a really good cause. Good for Carl. And that's just the big thing, too, because remember when Michael Sam came out prior to the National Football League draft many years ago, former Montreal Alouette, great, Michael Sam. That was a real big story. And now the fact that there is an active National Football League player coming out, and of course, this being Pride Month as well, it's also a real big deal. And I myself having friends that are LGBTQ+, it's a real, I mean, for for them, it's you know it's cool to know that there are professional athletes out there that are willing to speak out, and obviously there are so many. There's a long list of NHLers that are part of the You Can Play movement. Guys that come to my mind first: Morgan Riley, James Van Riemsdyk, Braden Holpe was part of the Washington D.C. Pride uh, Pride marches, Pride days, Pride celebrations. Tyler Sagan, uh, Marty Turco, one of my favorite goaltenders, one of my favorite college goaltenders of all time, University of Michigan grad. He's also been a part of it. The, the game itself has always been very positive towards it. And there's a lot of players and some and folks that have come out. And obviously, the National Women's Hockey League, they have a very, very well-represented well, well community of the LGBTQ plus community. And 
the, it, the just the fact though that someone from a major professional sports league, an active player, has come out, it can be a game changer for the good, because there is coming from someone who grew up in I don't want to say an era where it was really frowned upon because I was kind of in the middle, but I mean where you would make those those vulgar slangs towards someone you didn't like or you say something jokingly towards someone that you know as a kid you don't realize could have offended someone i grew up in that era and i'm glad we're slowly moving out of that to a better time for people you know that are involved in the lgbt community that are gay that are you know kind of afraid to come out to people and i've met people that are that are you know kind of hesitant to coming out one of my one of my groomswomen Jenna, she is one of the best people I've ever met, one of my best friends ever. She's the reason why I ever asked Kelly to just simply date me, let alone marry me. She, I remember when I was, I worked with her when she was trying to figure out how to come out to her own mother, let alone actually, you know, coming out to the world, just simply telling her mom that. And I know how tough it was for her, let alone a professional athlete who plays on one of the most historic franchises, the NFL in one of the most world's most popular leagues. I'm, you know, I'm not saying there's gonna be this massive, you know, complete change. And there's gonna be a bunch of people that have come out. Uh, one guy I always look at, you know, very fond of and kind of idolized for his, for his voice and what he does and what he stands for. Scotty MacArthur, for those that don't know, he works at Sportsnet 590 up in Toronto. He's he works for the lead off the morning show up there in Toronto. He came out a couple of years back and it was a real, real big story. And it was for the good as well, because, you know, he's someone that battled with that because it's it's tough for some people. And the fact that Carl Nassib is able to come out openly and say, hey, guys, I am gay and I'm proud to be gay. And he's happy that and he's, of course, and all the and the Raider fans and the people think all oh, the Raiders, they are the most fierce fans and, you know, the most terrifying people in the world. I just I looked on the Instagram on his Instagram page. Everyone that was following him, they gave him, you know, the big thumbs up and saying, that's awesome, dude. Congratulations. Like stuff like that, like positive stuff. That's what we need in this world, guys. We need more of that. It's something that it's so great. And now you wonder who's the next one, Who you know, because, you know, there have been players that have retired that have came out in all major sports, but no one until Carl has done it while he's been active. Michael Sam did it when he was a college football player. Unfortunately, he couldn't make the cut in the NFL. But this is a great story, and it's going to be exciting to see how it positively affects not just football, all sports, and, you know, society as a whole. That's something we need. You know, just everyone to be nicer to each other, be more, you know, I guess, accepting and understanding. That's the biggest thing of everyone because not everyone's going to agree with everything. Shoot, my dad and I go play golf and we argue about something at least once in a while. But at least as long as people understand. People listen like and they listen to each other and they respect what they want to believe and stuff like that. That's what's going to make this world a better place at some point. Now, granted, if you ever go on Twitter after a Leafs loss, it's going to go back to square one. But that's neither here nor there. So let's jump back to the hockey page here. I know it's uh, got a little soft there, but you know what? I believe it was something that was certainly worth mentioning indeed. So now let's get back to the hockey page here. Some news that came out. A couple signings we had here. Blake Como re-signed to the Dallas Stars. One year, $1 million paycheck for him. Not a big little, not a big number, obviously. Blake Como, a solid depth piece. He is going to be a guy that they're going to want to use He's the bottom six. You know, he sometimes jumps into that second line role for Dallas, but, you know, someone that knows his role, and that's why he's only getting paid a million dollars. Matt Nieto is re-signing with the San Jose Sharks. He was going to be UFA on July 28th, but he signs a two-year deal staying with San Jose. Trying to see where his money's at. Financial terms have not been disclosed as of this time. That was at 4.30 Eastern time. Let's jump on over to Sportsnet, see if anything's been released yet. I don't think so. I click over to Sportsnet. Right there, bam. That's the first story. Carl Nassib, good for him. That's awesome. That's good stuff, guys. And trying to look for the Matt Nieto story. Nothing else. So two years, undisclosed number. 
me jump over to the cat friendly page here. Once again, cat friendly, trying to save my butt. Oh, 850. There we go. Cat friendly is on it, kids. 850 for two years. He was making, he was on a, let's see, he was on a two year, 1.97 million, $975 million contract with 700 grand last year. Excuse me, that was 1.975 with the card avalanche. Last year, it was making 700 grand. Gets a little bit of a pay raise now for the next two seasons. No performance, no signing bonuses with the San Jose Sharks. And some other news, Jacob Slavin winning the Lady Bing Trophy, the most gentlemanly player in the game. You know, it's kind of funny this was announced. I believe he only had two minor penalties all this season, Jacob Slavin. Alex and I, so brother Alex, we played golf yesterday for Father's Day with Dad and I, three of us. Alex won somehow. I three-putted on the 18. Just wasn't a good day. But we come back, we're playing some chell, and we like to play random. He got Carolina. Of course, Alex, the Carolina Crusades captain himself, he was able to play as his team, and he said any penalty taken by Jacob Slavin today makes this game not, not real. Obviously, it's not real. It's a video game, but he said the game is going to be nulled. doesn't exist. It won't count to the record at all. But Jacob Slavin, congratulations, winning the Lady Bing this year. There were some people that actually complained about Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid not winning the award, to which I say to them, shut up. That's the stupidest argument I've ever heard in my life. And some awesome news also coming out of Seattle. JT Brown retires from hockey. Tough call for him. He said it was tough to hang up his skates. However, he gets a cool deal signing out with the Seattle Kraken as the first television analyst for the Kraken next season, meaning he's going to be working alongside Johnny Forslin there. The Seattle Kraken guys already have the best probably TV radio duo in the league. And I'm saying that as a loving Leafs fan, knowing that I have Joe Bowen and or Chris Cuthbert slash Gordon Miller in my corner for television. In terms of, we'll just say regional broadcast, because unfortunately, as I bumped my microphone, the Leafs are never regional. They're hardly ever regional. So I'm not going to consider the Leafs that. But as a guy that grew up watching Kenny Daniels and Mickey Redmond and listening to Kenny Cal. You know, I love those guys, Seth, but boy, next year, Seattle's going to be on fire with their production there. I believe it's Root Root Sports, Root Sports Northwest that does the stuff out there for them and the Mariners and the Seattle. Um, 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 um. Holy moly, help me out here. The Seattle Storm, right? Seattle Storm, that's the WNBA team out there. The ones that really just won a championship. Seattle Storm. Yes, Seattle Storm. Thank you. WNBA team, like... I want to say Storm, like, wait, this isn't, no, the Supersonics were the old team with Sean Kemp and all that. But, so yeah, we'll be doing games for Root Sports with John Forsling, along with JT Brown. I believe he's going to be, the, I don't know if he's an analyst, going to be a studio analyst or a color guy that has not been determined yet, but he's going to be a part of the broadcast, which is awesome. And of course, on the radio side of things, you're going to have good guy Everett Fitzhugh, Detroit native, former Cincinnati Cyclones broadcaster, Evie Fitzhugh, going to be on there. Fitzy's going to be kicking tail on the airwaves while on the TV waves, it's going to be John Forsland. Uh, but of course, with that, we have do have some sad news today. Tom Curvers, the first ever defenseman to ever win the Hobie Baker Award winner with Minnesota Duluth, 1986 Stanley Cup champion of the Montreal Canadiens, current assistant general manager of the Minnesota Wild, passed away at the age of 58. And it was it was tough because Eddie Olchek. During game four, I want to say the second period, the game had a little bit of a lull and he, it was very strange because, because in, in television, you can let the game kind of breathe a little bit. You don't need to talk all the time. And but Tom Curvers died while after battling lung cancer, he had been the general manager, the assistant general manager with the wild since 2018 Eddie Olchek goes on. I said, I'd like to take a moment to talk about a friend of mine, Tom Curvers. And, and he said that he was in rough shape and keeping in thoughts and prayers. And I'm like, oh, that's that's never a good sign. Because Tom actually and Tom and Eddie played together with the with the Toronto Maple Leafs back in the 90s. Curvers actually was involved in the trade that sent Wendell Clark back to Toronto. Curvers went to the Islanders. So that's how, I mean, that's not how I remember Tom Curvers. I always remember Tom Curvers from Minnesota Duluth, the first ever defenseman to win a national or to win the Hobie Baker Award winner. I believe that was the third year it was handed out as well. 
But the crazy part is they have it here on Sportsnet. He had 76 points in 43 games that year. Little tidbit of information. Tom Curvers, if I'm not mistaken, if you watch the game back, the national championship game, I believe he was on the ice. That was for the famous four overtime game between Bowling Green State and Minnesota Duluth where Bowling Green won in four overtimes. Now, it's not the longest game in the history of college hockey, because back then, kids, they only played 10-minute overtimes. Because I guess they didn't want to tire the players out. Even after four overtimes, everyone was gassed. The You can find the like the national broadcast feed, which is fine. It's cool. It's a good broadcast. But the there's also on YouTube, if you look it up, there is the, the video that was from the national broadcast, but it was timed with the Bowling Green radio feed. And that's why, like, there is Homer broadcasts, and there's a reason who I listen to during the playoffs or I choose not to listen to during the playoffs. I'm not going to name names, but there are a couple of broadcast crews that are part of the semifinals right now. But yet, the the emotion of that call, something I aspire to, because the call itself is great. It's calling the game. Everything's going on. There's plays, all sorts, and all of a sudden, the goal happens, and every, you can hear everyone in the booth scream. And unfortunately, Tom Curvers was on the wrong side of that, but just a great, I mean, a, a guy that's, he's done everything in the game. He's won cups, individual, great college standout, and was doing a lot of stuff with the game, was a scout as well for a long time before being the assistant GM in Minnesota. Our thoughts and prayers are with Tom Curver's family and friends. So not much other news other than that, though. As far as we know, we don't know who's starting tomorrow night for the Vegas Golden Knights. But let's get into that series. Tied at two, going back to the Strip, to Las Vegas. Well, it's in Paradise, Nevada is the rink. But you know what I mean. It's off the Strip in Las Vegas. The New York, the New York. I was looking at the wrong part of my notes. Vegas Golden Knights and Montreal Canadiens. Tied at two. This series should not be this close on paper. We talked about it with Nick. It should not be this close. Yet, here we are. Montreal took a 2-1 series lead after winning game three, 3-2 in overtime. If you haven't seen it yet, you probably, if you don't know, then you clearly live under a rock. Marc-Andre Fleury, a horrendous giveaway late in the, late in the third period. Tries to backhand. It goes off his own skate. Jumps out in front. Josh Anderson, who has not scored in 13 games. Guys, he's been more snake-bitten than macho man Randy Savage was when he was in the field with Jake the Snake Roberts. That's how bad it was for this guy. He gets a gift. Wrapped in a bow. Put under the Christmas tree. And even given to him on Christmas Eve. Before the day itself. Ties the game at two. They go to overtime. Early on, Anderson happened to be on the ice. Puck gets flipped ahead, and all of a sudden, he knocks it down. Can't get a breakaway because he can't control it. But here comes Paul Byron. Just happens to be there all the time for the Canes. Picks up the loose puck. Fakes out Flurry. It's a 2 on 0 Gives it to Anderson. Anderson taps it in. Game over. The Montreal Canadiens win game three. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Montreal is ahead 2-1. to one. Guys, this is it. Montreal is going to take over this series because no way they're going to lose. Game four at home. Peter DeBoer puts out on the ice. They are doing the morning rushes, and you see Robin Leonard's in the starter's net. Robin Leonard's in net. Montreal's got this, guys. He hasn't played since game one of that series against Colorado. He got shelled for seven goals. Only a second start. No way that Montreal finds a way to lose this one. Montreal outplays Vegas. They outshoot Vegas for the first time in the series. No way they lose this game. Robin Leonard, though, Panda himself, says nay nay, or however a panda would say it. I don't know how a panda would growl no, but I guarantee you Robin Leonard did it. 27 saves for Robin Leonard. Paul Byron scores, though, late in the second period on a breakaway. It's one nothing going into the third period. Montreal's feeling good, though. Just, they're out playing them. It's only one goal game. Braden McNabb, though, gets a squeaker, his first of the postseason. Nicholas Waugh in overtime after a great save by Price. Waugh's left open in front. Carey Price is like, I don't know what else to do here. Waugh gets his fourth of the playoffs in overtime, just over a minute and a half in. And the Vegas Golden Knights tie the series at two after the second overtime game of the series. Now, there's two parts to this that we're going to go into here before we wrap things up on today's show. The first one, 
let's go and let's get into Robin Leonard. We'll get to the penalties here in a second or the lack thereof. But let's talk about Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard, since that year in Long Island, 1819. I, I've always liked Robin Leonard, even when he was in Ottawa. Heck, when he's in Binghamton. I used to watch him when he come to Grand Rapids. Big, tall kid from Sweden. Kind of moves funky, but he can make the save because he's huge. He's a pretty good goaltender. Okay, this guy's working out pretty well. Let's see how he does in the NHL. Goes to a decent Ottawa team. Gets moved down to Buffalo, though. He's going to be a starter there. He plays for a crappy Buffalo team. Has his flashes of brilliance, but, you know, he just doesn't look all into it. Kind of gets a little bit flustered, gets angry at times. So then he gets kind of excommunicated, goes to Long Island. Barry Trotz comes in to be the head coach. Him and Thomas Grice. Let's see how this goes. I mean, it's Barry Trotz. He just won the Italian Cup, but uh, Robin Leonard's kind of shaky. He could be a decent goaltender, but we'll see how it goes. But then Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice win the Jennings Trophy. And all of a sudden, you see the Bill Masterson Award go to Robin Leonard. And that's when we learn the story of Robin Leonard. I'm sorry, guys. If you are not a fan of Robin Leonard, clearly you have something out for him that I don't know about. Because this guy has literally came back and has aired his dirty laundry for the world to know that he was able to beat something that not many can. That's why the Bobby Ryan story for me is so personable and so in-depth because someone that's willing to come out and say, hey, I need help. Robin Leonard did that. And that's tough because he was really the first one to come out and say, as an active player. And so I've ever, I've ever since that season, I'm like, you know what? Robin Leonard's a, that's a guy. That's a guy I can cheer for. Even with all the goaltending controversy and Alan Walsh showing the sword in the back of Marc-Andre Fleury during the playoffs last year, what have you, whatever. I'm sorry. I am still cheering for Robin Leonard. Even when he didn't even get the call for the playoffs. Robin Leonard's still a cool guy. I love Marc-Andre Fleury. Love how flashy he is. He's a fun goaltender to watch. But I'm still going to go for that guy. If Robin Leonard gets in there, I felt bad for him during that first game against Colorado because I knew he was going to get lit up. It was going to be ugly, and it was. So he gets to start in game four, and I'm just like, you sure? But that first period, when the Canadians came out like the flying Frenchman, they came out buzzing, getting chances, and Leonard stood tall and made some really big stops in that first period. I said to myself, oh boy, it's gonna be, this is going to be crazy because Leonard was making these big stops. Yeah, he got beat on the breakaway by Paul Byron, but he held his team in it. A Vegas Golden Knights team that has hardly been outplayed this year. Even when they played Minnesota in that seven-game series, I couldn't tell you how many times they were knocked out or they were really kind of out of a hockey game at any point. Yet, he stood tall, made some big stops, and and of course, the post-game presser revealed a little bit. He said he went to the rink two hours early to, paraphrasing here, just for the sake of everything, the... <laughs> What he said on he said I went to came in two hours early so I could read Twitter and get fired up after listening to all the stuff or see all your stuff to get me fired up. He said other words that I can't say here on this program. But the crazy thing is when I heard that, I was like, that's Robin Leonard. Because Robin Leonard's always been so open. Remember he came out talking about how the league's COVID protocols were wonky with teams that have already been, you know, vaccinated or whatever which we'll get to here in a second with the COVID issues in this series. But but that's my point, though. He's always been a very open guy with everything, which is makes him, you know, maybe that's what rubs people the wrong way because he's so open about it. But he comes out and says, I just wanted to see all the stuff that you guys have been saying about me, talking crap about me, it gets me fired up. And then he has a great game. Like that in itself is awesome because it shows you that he does have that kind of demeanor where he can kind of go out and say, hey, Hey, you turduckins, I know what you said. Now I'm going to show you that you're all wrong. And he did. Now, there was a couple people saying, I wouldn't be surprised if Pete DeBoer goes back with Marc-Andre Fleury tomorrow. Now, hold on there. Now, yes, I was shocked to see Robin Leonard get the call for that game. Because I'm like, man, is a goalie gaff that bad? Now, yes, Ty Conklin had an awful gaff in the 06 playoffs, and we never saw from him again. We saw UC Marketing. 
because Dwayne Rollison got hurt. And yes, that was the end of the Oilers run that year to the playoffs. Sorry, I had to take a quick swig of water there. Palette's getting a little dry. So, so that said, I was like, okay, well, let's see how Leonard does. And if Leonard loses, then then go back with Flurry in game five and a must-win game where the Golden Knights could get knocked out by an underdog in the fifth game of the semifinals for the second year in a row. Well, Leonard made sure that wasn't going to be the case. So now you go back to Nevada. Serious side at two. Now, the two things I mentioned with the COVID problems, Dominic Ducharme, of course, held out of game three. For those who don't remember, he held out because he, there was, first of all, there was first irregularities with his COVID test, but they found out he actually tested positive. It was confirmed. He's quarantined for 14 days, which means that this this coming Friday, I think it would be, would be his seven-day mark, which means he's not going to be eligible to coach the Habs until if they were to move on to the Stanley Cup Finals and knock on this wooden table, he would not be able to coach, I believe, until like game two or three of that series. Now, the crazy part with that is, is that now it's, I mean, the, the obviously it worked out. They won game three. They lost game four. They played well, though. So I'm like, all right. And of course, this is a team that didn't even have Claude Julian, their head coach, during half the bubble last year because Claude Julian had a heart attack or heart, had a a cardiac cardiac episode. So Kirk Muller had to be the head coach and he did just fine. Now, granted, he's an assistant or an associate coach. Now I think he should have been the head coach, but that's not, I'm not Mark Bergevin. Mark Bergevin's looking pretty good right now because his team is in the semifinals. Also in COVID world, Kelly McCrimmon, the general manager for the Vegas Gold Knights, is also out with COVID. Now, yes, he doesn't be behind the bench. He's a general manager, but he is now self-isolating at home. The National Hockey League, though, has come out and said that no players have tested positive today, which is important because obviously with Ducharme being right behind the bench and Kelly McCrimmon, as things start to loosen up, he's been around the players a little bit. They want to make sure that he has had no contact with those players. We've seen a little bit with the UEFA Euros as well that there's been some COVID issues. Players had to sit out due to COVID protocol. And of course, in the NBA, Paul George has been out been on the health protocol list in the National Basketball Association, so there's been that. So there is, it's happening everywhere, but here in the Stanley Cup playoffs where they're literally each a minimum or maximum three games away from the Stanley Cup finals, uh, yeah, when you're having COVID protocols now or COVID issues now, it's not a good sign, kids. But, you know, knock on wood, we can get through the rest of this here because, boy, oh, boy, I, I want, we got to do it. We got to be on schedule. Because you want to know why? I want to be able to focus on the Olympics. I'm, I'm not, I don't work for NBC, guys. I'm just saying I love the Olympics. And I love just sitting down and watching them all day, not having to worry about anything else. And, oh, be still my beating heart. I just refreshed Twitter there, and Sportsnet, they posted about their story about Carl Nassib coming out, and Scotty MacArthur came out and tweeted, um, Retweeted it saying every person who do, who does this removes a brick from the wall. Let's keep tearing it down with the pride flag. And oh man, it's 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 awesome. Like I said, the support is amazing. It's it's what this this world needs. People that go at it like that. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, all right, back to halves and nights. So game five tomorrow night, nine o'clock puck drop. Won't be able to watch it. I'm sorry. I listened to a little, I think I fell asleep during the second period. I was listening to it last night as I was going to bed. That's what I've been doing for a lot of these the West Coast games is I turn them on before I have to go to bed and listen to them, which is great because I get to listen to uh, some, some real awesome guys. I listen to the Sports USA feed, which which is really good because I, I like I like when you, because I like having neutral broadcasters for the playoffs. I love listening to Chris King, of course, for the New York Islanders. I call it a bias thing because we've had him on the show. I think he's a fun guy to listen to. You can tell he's an Islanders fan calling the game, but it, it's fun to listen to him. Of course, I, I'm missing out on, on, Dan, on Dan Robertson because the way they do it, now I mentioned this with Nick Alberga, they take it for the NHL. You only get three selections if you want to listen on the app. You can listen to the Sports USA feed, which has which has been having uh, John Ehlers as the television play-by-play guy for them. 
uh, Anaheim Ducks TV play-by-play guy, does the radio for Sports USA. Been doing a lot with Jim Fox, who is the color guy for the Kings TV. Then you can get the what I've been getting at least in this series with Vegas Golden Knights and the French broadcast because Montreal obviously is a a, a split and hybrid English and Francophone have both broadcasters. So they took the Francophone feed, the French feed for Montreal, which is great. I can't understand it, but it's good. And then you have the English feed for the Vegas Golden Knights and I don't really care for much of the Vegas Golden Knights feed. So I listen to the Sports USA feed. They do a great job as well. But so I'll probably listen to the game. Obviously I watch it back today. And we'll see how it goes. The big thing, I think, coming into Game 5, and this is what everyone's talking about today, is the officiating. So let's dive into this here. Like I said, we're not going to go too much longer today, folks. I know it's only one hour so far, one hour into the show, but I'm sorry. Not a whole lot to go on today. <laughs> I do apologize. That's why you see if there's ever a sports-centric show on radio, typically it's only an hour. Shout out to our good guys, Jeff Merrick, Justin Bourne, and Anthony Stewart there at Sportsnet 590, Hockey Central at noon. I love listening to those guys every day I get out of work, except for this week, of course, where I have to wait for them because I get out at 10 o'clock in the morning. It sucks. I mean, I get out when they go in. That's how it works, pretty much. Not obviously in the same city because I'm in Michigan. They're in Toronto. A little bit of a distance there, folks. But the officiating's been a big question. There, of course, was the hit from behind, or the cross from behind, from Joel Edmondson knocking down Carrier, William Carrier. There was Braden McNabb punching a guy in the face. I, I've heard this is where you literally see the division between the old school hockey thought and the new school hockey thought. And I've always been pretty much down the middle where unless a guy gets injured, Mark Scheifele running over Jake Evans, even if Jake Evans was able to get up, that's a dirty hit. But when there's cross checks in front of the net and there's pushing and shoving after the whistle and bumps and shoves and wrestling matches and hog ties and headlocks, I'm okay with that sort of game. I'm okay with that because that's how the playoffs are. And, oh, but Tyler, it's your, it's your boomer side of you saying, get your cane out, you old fart. Well, listen, I don't mind it. I like the tough hockey. I like the tough form of the playoffs. I don't like to see, I mean, because this is when I, whenever someone comes up to me and says, I want to see where guys just can't tee off on each other, where they're supposed to rub people off the puck or whatever, and the game is less dangerous. I'm like, have you ever watched a beer league hockey game. Go in on a Wednesday night to your local rink, watch an adult league game. That is hockey without hitting. And even then they end up running into each other. And, and when people say, oh, but the game will be faster. No, because the game will slow down because people will be afraid to hit each other. That's why I'm okay with you seeing the playoffs. Now, yes, if you see a guy brain somebody or elbow someone or high stick someone in the face, like Corey Perry got his face smashed in at the end of game three in overtime. Yes, that is a problem. When there is possible injury at stake, yes. But when guys start cross-checking each other at the side of the goal and you know hard hits in the corner that are clean, I, I'm sorry, that that's part of the game for me. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with a guy getting whacked in the face and no call. I have a problem when there's a cross-check down in front and there should be a color. But I'm saying like, stuff after the whistle, the extracurriculars. It's that's how the playoffs are. It's tough hockey. But look at but look at UEFA Tyler. They listen, if you're ever gonna try to there's some people that say I'm like they they still call fouls and yellow cards in the, in the European championships. Yes, but the refs suck. The VAR is inconsistent. If you're gonna start getting into football talk, sorry Real football, not American football, real football talk with me. I can tell you the refs are just as bad there as well. Refs are bad everywhere. It doesn't matter what sport you play. Baseball umpires, awful. NFL referees cost the New Orleans Saints a chance to play Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. We had to watch the Rams play. You know how boring that game was? It sucked. The only thing good about it was the post game when the game was over. That's how bad it was. I even the halftime show could have saved it. Couldn't even told you who did the halftime show that year. That's how bad it was. The Masked Singer debut that came on after that football game was better. But Major League Baseball umpires are awful. NBA refs are horrible sometimes. Like, the NHL refs, yes, they're the best league in the world, the NHL is. Yes, the refs are not the best. 
They're human. They make mistakes. There's never going to be a perfect game. Heck, look at the, what was it, game, what was it, game two of the Islanders, of the Islanders and in, in Lightning, where Andre Palat scored the goal with seven people on the ice. When Braden Point got knocked into a goaltender, but he got a penalty. It's going to happen forever. And and someone says, hey, Dad, how's it going? Dad jumping in here on the chat. Do I tell Dad that we're not doing a full two and a half hours today? He probably a little disappointed. It's okay, Dad. You can watch the replay on the Cule Show YouTube channel or your favorite podcatcher where you can listen to it. Dad and I tied in second, tied for second in the Father's Day Classic yesterday at uh, Graceful Country Club over there in Walker, Michigan. Shot a 52 in nine holes. Yeah, it was not a good day for the uh, for the Cule for the Cule Clan. Also, by the way, go check out Cule Quest. That is their awesome YouTube channel they have and their Instagram page as well, at Cule Quest, which is spelled just like my name right there, K-U-E-H-L. Make sure then the Quest is K-U-E-S-T. Get it because it starts with the K-U Quest. Okay, that's how it is. But anyways, back to this game tomorrow. I, listen, I'm not going to be shocked if there's more pushing and shoving after whistles, more punches to the face, guys getting knocked down from behind, and no whistles being blown. Because the last thing that's going to happen, like just Nick Kiprios put it the best way. I'm like, just shut up and play and let things play out as it is. The refs call it, they don't call it. Now, I've heard some people say that sometimes the refs will give a warning call. They'll give like, hey, don't do that again, guys, or else we'll call it. Now, the problem is I think the players today don't have that kind of respect for the refs as guys like Kiprios and you look at you know the, the Lindros era and the Scott Stevens, Steve Eisman era. We don't have guys like Paul Dvorsky and Billy McCreary and Kerry Frazier, despite that one game in 93. Like there's not that kind of respect for those refs as there is today. Because Wes McCauley has been out right now. I don't know what's going on with Wes McCauley, but he has not been has not been refing as of late. I don't know why exactly. But yeah, he's been he's been gone for a while. Or excuse me, he's been he has not called anything in the semifinals. He was in round two. I think the last game he did was in the Tampa Carolina series, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, so yeah, that's the last time we've seen him. But Kelly Sutherland's been in this as well. Like those are like the only two senior officials that are respected among the players that are actually you know some decent officials. So yeah, I don't know what to expect with the officiating. It's going to be tough. Now, granted, yes, this outcry of poor officiating may result in a ten power play game because there are only two between Montreal and Vegas in Game Four. Both teams went zero for one, but. I'm just saying, do you really want a playoff game to be determined on a power play? Is that really what you want? No, you want the two best teams, five on five, to go at it. I mean, I mean, unless you're new to this, unless you're new to hockey, that's this is how the game's always been, go- uh, always goes. I've literally seen people get hogtied, tackled, and wrestled to the ice in a Stanley Cup playoff game, and goes uncalled. Did it affect possession? Probably no. Probably didn't. Did the player get hurt? Didn't seem like it. Got back up and was yelling at the guy. Heck, I what was it when Drew Doughty straight up slashed? What was it Ryan Kessler in the not Ryan Kessler? It was uh, Jeff Carter in the face. Wasn't that what it was? Hold on a second. Duncan Keith slashes guy in face. Let me see. Was it Charlie Coyle? No. Was it? No, it wasn't. No, oh yes, Duncan Keith slashing Jeff Carter in the face. This was the 2013 conference finals. He literally did that to him. He got suspended. That's because he literally had to chop a guy in the face with a hockey stick. He had to go, didn't go full Marty McSorley on him, but he was pretty close. Like that, like that's that was where he crossed the line. But if other than that, you kind of just you play hockey hard, you play tough, you play tight checking. Does it go full hook and grab era, one three one trap like we saw in the 90s? No, we don't see that in dead puck era entirely, but. Then again, players are faster and they're more athletic than they were in the 90s, but I digress. I, If Vegas gets out in front, they may win the series whole because I find it so hard to believe that when Montreal... Yes, Ty, yes, I know. They came back from 3-1 down against Toronto. You don't have to remind me. 
But what I'm saying is 3-2 against Vegas, who, as we've seen, is a much more complete hockey club than the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're pretty good, they have experience, and they know how to win. A round or two. Heck, they made it to the conference finals when they had a bunch of nobodies. Now they have a bunch of somebodies because those guys are somebodies when you make it to the Stanley Cup finals, right? Anyways, so if, if Vegas scores first uh, at home at T-Mobile tomorrow night, Montreal is done because Montreal is horrible at trying to play from behind. They only came back in game three because Marc-Andre Fleury literally gave the game away. That's how that game ended up playing out. Montreal scores first. Series could be a lot different. Now, yes, it could go to game six where Vegas could win. They go back to Vegas for game seven. That could is an entire possibility. But Montreal cannot get scored on first. I'm calling it right now. If Vegas scores first, the series ends in Montreal on Thursday. It's over then. We're literally previewing the final game for the Montreal Canadiens and previewing Vegas Golden Knights for whoever they play in the Stanley Cup Finals. That's how it's going to end. Do I want it to end that way? No, but I just don't see Montreal winning a game where they get scored on first. Especially not in Vegas. And Vegas is going to have all the momentum knowing they have one more win to get back to the Stanley Cup Finals and they'll play their game in Montreal while it's 3,500 fans, not as hostile as the folks in Paradise, Nevada at the T-Mobile. I like Vegas' chances in that game when they're one win away. Montreal went away, it's a little bit tighter. But if, like I said, Vegas scores first tomorrow, whether it be the first period, second period, third period, or even if a one nothing game happens in overtime, they win game six, they go on to their second Stanley Cup final in only their fourth year of existence. That's what I think. That's the story I'm sticking to. As a former Weekend Update host of SNL, you say, I can't remember the guy's name. It was one after Norm MacDonald. Maybe Dad remembers who he is. I don't know. But that is it, though, for this Monday night edition here of The Kuehl Show. As, as always, I am your host, the Insider of the Insiders, Tyler Kuehl. We'll be back Thursday for another hour-long episode. Should be able to get a guest for Thursday. Nothing confirmed yet. Fingers crossed. Knocking on wood, we have someone to join me because, let's be honest, guys, I enjoy hearing myself talk, but I'm sure you guys would like to hear someone else's voice as well. So with that, I'm signing off. Remember, folks, as always, make sure you follow us at The Kuehl Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And remember, if you weren't able to catch this preview of Game 5 of Vegas in Montreal, that's okay. Make sure you just tune in on The Kuehl Show YouTube channel tomorrow. The video will be up later on tonight, but it'll be up when you wake up in the morning. And uh, wherever you get your podcast, go on there, Spotify, iHeart, Google, App Podcast, TuneIn Radio, whatever. Go on there, search The Kuehl Show. You'll find the latest episode. And you can just listen to us there. You don't have to see me wail my arms around and stuff. But that is it, though, for this week's show. We'll see you on Thursday when we'll preview Game 6 between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens. I'm Tyler Kuehl saying so long. We'll see you next time here on The Kuehl Show.